This is the podcast for RUF at Wake Forest. RUF exists for the convinced and the unconvinced, the lost and the found, the burned and the bored, the cynical and the spiritual. Whoever you are and whatever your story, RUF exists for you. For more information, check out our Instagram at RUF Wake Forest. Now, here's today's teaching. All right, so I'm going to talk about Luke chapter 7. We're going to talk about faith. And maybe you're here tonight and you're feeling really, uh, you're feeling like really full of faith. You know, maybe you're feeling really good um, about that. And I'm just aiming again. Um, let's see. Hello. I want to try to get this recorded. What's the point? We're going to get out on time, I promise. Um, maybe you're here tonight and you feel really full of faith, like feeling good in that area. Maybe you're here tonight and you don't know if you have faith at all. Um, maybe you got a friend and they, you don't know, they don't know if they have faith. Huh? This passage is going to help you. Okay? And um, Luke chapter 7 is this passage where Jesus commends this man because of his faith. And, uh, you know, may, may God just bless the teaching of his word here. Um, it's Luke chapter 7, verse 1 through 10. After he had finished all his sayings and the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. Now a centurion had a servant who was sick and at the point of death, who was highly valued by him. And when the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent to him elders of the Jews, asking him to come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly, saying, He is worthy to have you do this for him, for he loves our nation, and he is the one who built us our synagogue. And Jesus went with them. When he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore, I did not presume to come to you, but say the word, and let my servant be healed. For I too am a man set in authority, with soldiers under me. I say to one, go, and he goes, to another, come, and he comes. And my servant do this, he does it. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him. And turning to the crowd that follows him, said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. And when those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the servant well. Um, let me pray to God with bless our looking at his word here. Okay. Uh, Father, um, I pray that your spirit would work here, God, and with your word. Um, I don't have the, the ability or the wit, the cleverness, uh, the, the wisdom, the ability to turn a phrase, um, any of that, that will change a heart in the slightest. Um, that can only happen by the power of your spirit. And I pray that you would be pleased to do that tonight. Um, help us to, to see, to, to understand, to grasp, uh, to believe the, the faith that this, that this centurion has. Um, I pray that you would help us um, for your glory. Amen. Um, okay, so I, I, I love this passage. Um, because this guy, this centurion, his faith is so, is so stunning that Jesus is actually amazed by it, okay? 
And that in and of itself is amazing, right? Okay? Like you have got the Son of God, you know, God incarnate, second person of the Trinity, the, the one to whom, through whom, for whom, by whom all things were made. He spoke creation into beings. And it, and it says that he marvels. And, and that's a really strong word to use about somebody that you just think you wouldn't really catch off guard and that would be surprised about anything. Okay? It says that Jesus marveled, and basically when he turns to the crowd, he just says, I can't believe what I'm hearing here. He's never even met this guy, okay? And it just takes his breath away. Um, he can't believe what this guy's faith is like. And I just want you to think about that, and I want to kind of, you got to kind of enter into the story here and, and uh, think about just how in the world do you impress Jesus? I mean, he touches people and they get healed. He knows thoughts from afar, like what people are thinking. Uh, he controls the weather, okay? He's a withered hands. He, he touches them and they get, he casts demons out, uh, evil spirits. Um, but he's, he's kind of blown away here. He marvels at this guy's faith. And I want us to think about why. And one of the reasons that, that he marvels, I've got three, three reasons here. Okay, one is he marvels because just who this guy is. All right, that's one, one of the reasons. We see in verse 9, he says, not even in Israel have I found such faith. He's amazed just because of who this guy is. He's a centurion. He's not an Israelite. He's, he's kind of like the opposite of an Israelite, okay? Um, he would have been an enemy of Israel. Um, my good friend, our good friend Ben Miller, I actually heard him say this. He's stuck with me ever since. But he, he, you Star Wars fans out there, if you know Ben Miller, he's a Star Wars guy. And, uh, like, the centurion, he's, he's, they were like the stormtroopers of Rome. Okay, that's, that's what this guy was. They were sent in to keep peace of the, you know, by the empire. Like, we're going to keep them under control, all the people. That's who the stormtroopers were. And in Star Wars 7, The Force Awakens, for those of you who've seen it, you know, Finn, you know, Finn is a stormtrooper, but, you know, the veil gets lifted from his eyes, right? His, his thinking all of a sudden becomes unclouded, and he all of a sudden realizes, I don't want to be a part of the empire, but I want to be a part of the rebellion, right? That's, this guy's Finn, okay? That's who this guy is. Another, I mean, to use just a more, a, another kind of more realistic cause of Israel, um, is, uh, I mean, this would be something like, like a Russian um, soldier in the Ukraine. Okay, that's who the centurion was. Okay, that, that's who. So for him to have faith like this in Jesus is absolutely amazing. Um, he would have been a, a, a violent kind of guy, and he would have had a hundred soldiers under him, um, and he would have been all about keeping the peace in Capernaum, and it would not have been in a very pleasant way to the Israelites. Okay, that's, that's who this dude is. Um, and, and he's got this servant that is at the point of death. And we read here that this centurion really loves him. He's very valued by the centurion. And he hears that Jesus is, is close by. And so what he does is he sends this delegation, these Jewish elders, to go talk to Jesus about healing his servant. And so they show up to Jesus, and they're speaking on behalf of the centurion who's back at home with this servant who's sick. And they start to earnestly plead with Jesus, please heal this man's servant, Jesus. You want to know why? He deserves it. 
He deserves this, Jesus. He's, he's pro-Israel, like he loves our nation. He built our synagogue, for crying out loud. Okay, Jesus, this man deserves you to, to heal his, to honor his request, okay? And Jesus responds to his request, and he starts making his way towards the servant, Jesus does. But what he does is he sends a second delegation of his friends to Jesus, and they, they run out to Jesus as Jesus is walking toward the house, and they tell him, hey, listen, our servant, they know what these guys just said. They know that they just said all these, he knows that they're saying all these great things about him, and that you should come heal this servant because he deserves it. But Jesus, our, our friend just sent us to you to say, he wants you to know that he knows he doesn't deserve anything from you. He doesn't even deserve you to come under his roof. He says, don't trouble yourself. Like, he's not even worthy for you to come under his roof. He doesn't deserve, he wants you to know that he thinks that those guys are wrong, right? It's amazing what he says right there. Jesus hears that and he gets, he's amazed. And he turns to the crowd and he says, not even in Israel have I found such faith. He's amazed, he's astonished, and mainly just because that this centurion has great faith that he hadn't even found in Israel. And one of the things that is just really great about Luke's gospel, and one of the things he's constantly trying to hammer home to us, is that he highlights just that it's, it's, it's the ultimate outsiders of Jesus' day that are flocking to Jesus. It's the tax collectors. It's the sinners. Okay? It's guys like the centurion. There are all these unlikely people that are coming to Jesus. All the kind of people that you and I would not expect, that they were not expecting. Okay? And this guy is just another one of the many people. He kind of takes the cake. This centurion. He's just another shocker in the long line of shockers of the people, the kind of people that are coming to Jesus. And Luke wants to make sure that you and I see that. Right after this, in chapter 7, there's this amazing scene. It's, and it, it, it's right at the end of chapter 7. And it's John the Baptist is in prison. He's about to get his head chopped off. Okay? And he's in prison. And as it says, after John heard these things, and what he, these things, what he's been hearing is that Jesus just had healed this widow's son. He's just heard that this centurion has great faith. It's not Israel that's having great faith. It's this centurion that has great faith. And it says, after John heard these things, he's got a question. And he sends his disciples to go talk to Jesus. He sends his people to talk to Jesus' people. He says, listen, I'm here, Jesus, I'm listening to what's going on. I'm listening to what you're doing and who you're hanging out with and the kind of people that are just widows son is getting healed, the centurion has great faith. i got a question, are you really the one or should we look for another? That's just that whole thing. John the Baptist is starting to struggle with who Jesus is because of the kind of people that are starting to follow Jesus, right? And it's amazing. Jesus' response is amazing because what he says to John the Baptist, he says, to tell, he says, he tells John's disciples, you go tell John this, that the lame are walking, the deaf are starting to hear, the blind are receiving sight, good news is reaching the poor. It's the ultimate outsiders that are starting to flock to Jesus. John the Baptist is bothered by it, and this centurion is, is just another one. Okay? And Luke loves to let us know that Jesus is for the outsiders. Alright? Here's, here's the question for all you up the way forest. Are you ready for that? Right? Because whenever Jesus is preached rightly, whenever the real Jesus is seen and lifted up, 
it starts to get astonishing the kind of people that start to respond. Because Jesus is for the outsiders. And what that really shows us, and that kind of bothers them, because if we're really honest with what we really want Christianity and Jesus to be about, is the insiders. And what Luke is trying to tell us, even here with this guy, is that Jesus is for the outsiders. That's why Jesus is amazed. That's why, like Luke wants us to see the glimmer in Jesus' eye when this centurion has great faith. He wants us to see that. All right? The other reason that, he start, that he's amazed and marvels at this guy's faith is what this guy's faith rests in. Okay? And, or, and maybe I, I might explain it better explain it this way. What this guy's faith is not in. Okay? These people come, they come up to Jesus and go, Jesus, heal his servant because he deserves it. He loves our nation. He built a synagogue. He, he's a philanthropist, Jesus. He's generous. Right? Like there's names on Wake's campus named after this guy. Right? Because he's pro-humanitate, right? He loves him. And um, you can do this because he deserves it. And um, I just, the centurion contradicts all of it. He says, listen, all right, maybe I did build a synagogue. Maybe I really do like the Israelites and I'm kind of pro-Israel. I really love my servant. But let me tell you what, Jesus, I'm not the great guy that they say I am. Right? I'm not all that in a bag of chips like they're saying I am. Okay? I'm a, my household isn't even unfit for you to come in. Right? I love what he says here. And when he says that, what he's saying, listen, Jesus, I just want you to know that my faith is not in what other people are saying about me. His faith is not what in what other people say about him. Okay? And this is really going to help some of you because for some of you, the biggest obstacle that you face in a lot of ways is your family and your friends and what they say or think about you. And what this passage is, what I want to show you on the basis of this passage is those two things are not related at all. Okay? Um, faith, your faith is not resting what people say about you or think about you. Um, in other words, like the more that you fear men, the more that you fear other people's opinion of you, the less full of faith you actually are. Because it's just very easy to think, oh man, everybody loves me. Everybody thinks I'm great. I must be full of faith. I must be all that. And this guy doesn't consider what they think at all. And I love that. Faith doesn't rest in what other people say about you. Faith doesn't rest in what you're doing. It doesn't, it doesn't rest in your accomplishments. That's not what your faith is in. Like, I'm going to take a swipe with some of the happy people here tonight. And, um, you know, like, some of you are here tonight and you're happy. There are some great reasons for really to be happy. There might be some of you that are here to happen. You're happy here tonight, and it's just mainly because you think you're better than everybody else, right? My daughter, my youngest daughter, Molly Jane, Maddie, where's Maddie? You know Molly Jane. When she was here, she was young. She's 17 now, so life is kind of chewed on her a little bit, you know, roughed her up. And uh, when she was little, she was running, she's the happiest kid I've ever seen. I would bring her on campus, and there would just be swarms of people around her. The happiest kid I've ever seen. But she thought she was better than everybody else. That's why she was so happy. <laughs> and um, and like it's, it's just easy for us to compare ourselves to other people around us. We think, wow, I'm doing so much better than Bill and Steve or Susan, whoever. Right? I'm doing so much better. I'm not doing the things they're doing, these people on campus or whatever. I must be really full of faith. And so you feel kind of happy. It's a little bit, y'all have any idea who Dave Ramsey is? The get, you know, the get out of that guy. He's got this radio talk show. Okay. Listen, I really, here's a guilty pleasure of mine. Like, if I'm struggling financially, one of the things I love to do is listen to Dave Ramsey because at the particular moment, the teaching family might be an absolute financial train wreck. If I listen to these people that call him the Dave Ramsey show, and I go, well, I may be bad, but I'm not that bad. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, and that's how, 
that's it. See, it's a lot of you are doing that with Christianity, right? Oh man, I may be in tough shape, but I'm not a bad thing. I just say be careful because it might be that your standards are too low. Okay? This guy's faith that Jesus commends here, that Jesus marvels at, it does not rest in what he's doing. Okay? Real, the other thing real faith does not rest in, real faith does not rest in itself. We don't have faith in our faith. And this is a, a, an area where we really make a shipwreck of things. Okay, I'm sitting down in the pit with a student named Jamie, okay? And as I'm sitting down there talking to Jamie, she starts to cry. And I say, Jamie, what's wrong? You know, what, what's going on? What's behind those tears? And she says, Kevin, I don't know if I'm really a Christian. And I said, well, Jamie, let me ask you this. Why do you think you're a Christian in the first place? Like, let's start there. And she goes, well, when I was, you know, 10, 12, whatever the age it was, she said, I was at this church service, and I was very moved by the sermon and just the whole thing. And the pastor called for people to come down front. So I walked down front, and I gave my life to Christ. And um, so, you know, that's why I think I'm a Christian. I said, well, what's, so what's the problem? What she says to me is she says, I don't know if I really meant it. I just, I mean, how sincere can I really be at 12 or whatever years old? I don't know if I really meant it. I, and so the next question that I said is I said, well, um, well, have you talked to anybody else about this? I'm just trying to, you know, get her talking, ask her some questions. And she actually said, you know, as a matter of fact, I was at home a couple of weeks ago, and this has really been bothering me for a while. And so I went to talk to my former youth pastor about this. And um, I told him what was going on. And I said, well, what did, what did he say? And, and she says, well, what he told me to do was just to, uh, we'll just need to stop right there in his office, and I needed to bow my head, and let's pray, and let's invite Jesus into my life, and give your life to Christ, and, and even said, I'm going to write it in the front of your Bible. At this time, this place, this is what I did. And um, so whenever my conscience and the devil's attacking me, I can open up my Bible, and there it is. And I said, well, what's the problem? And she goes, I don't know if I'm in it. I don't know if I was sincere enough. And I said, listen to me. Y'all see where the problem is. I said, until you stop having faith in your faith, until you stop having faith in your sincerity, you and I are going to have this conversation every two weeks. Okay? And I'm happy to do it, Jamie. I'll talk to you every two weeks. But until you stop having faith in your faith and start having faith in Jesus, we're going to have to have this talk every week. You know? Because our faith isn't even in our faith. Right? Um, our faith is in Christ. Um, I love the friend uh, in the hymn. The, the line says, I dare not trust the sweetest frame. I dare not trust the sweetest frame of mind, my emotion. You know what I'm saying? Like those days when you're feeling good and everything's off, you feel, you feel great. But we don't, we don't despise our emotions, we just don't trust them. Right? Um, our faith is not in our faith. It's not in that sweetest frame of mind. And it's so easy for us to put our trust in that and think, oh, I must be great because I'm in this great frame of mind. What about the days you're not in a great frame of mind? Then you're just you know, all down in the dumps and crying like that. You're not even good. Um, so, the, the flip side of that is true, too. I took a swipe at the happy people, but some of you, let's talk about the unhappy people here tonight. Like, the message is the same to you. Real faith doesn't look at itself. It doesn't trust in what you're doing. 
Because, listen, some of you are here tonight and you're really upset. It's because you're looking around and you're comparing yourself to other people. Look at Bill and Steve and Steve and Susan and Mary. Like, I'll never do what they do. I'll never have the kind of faith they have. I'll never accomplish what they have accomplished. And so you, you compare yourself to other people. And so you start to beat yourself up. You start to feel, feel unhappy. Listen, I... There's a real thing, it's chemical, uh, clinical depression. I mean, I have taken medicine for depression at times in my life. I'm not downplaying that at all. But I can tell you this, that most of the depression, day in and day out, that I deal with in my life is the inability for me to look away from myself. I compare myself to other people, and it just is depressing, right? Real faith is not in you. And this guy just gets it. And if you want to have real faith, you've got to stop looking at yourself. Nobody, nobody here is worthy. And I love it that this man gets it. Um, stop looking at yourself. Nobody here, I don't care who you are in this room. You can be the guy that started RUF here, the strongest person in the room, to the weakest. It doesn't matter. Every one of us in this room has got to come to this place in your life where you're like this man and you realize you're unworthiness before Jesus. That's where faith starts. Real faith is humility. Um, Frank, Francis Schaeffer, one of all, he, he talked about the empty hands of faith, right? The, the hymn, uh, Rock of Ages, nothing in my hands I bring. You know, simply to that cross I come. Uh, I love it. Like, this guy knows his heart well enough. He knows what goes through his mind. He's got enough self-awareness to know that there is no way that his good deeds merits anything before Jesus. He gets that. Like, like, even if in all humility, he knows that he's trying to do right, he really does love his service, he really has done kind of these good things, at the bottom, he knows he's unworthy. Okay? And that's, real faith starts there. Okay? But as we go to this, and that's one of the, Jesus is marveling at this guy. Okay? He's a powerful man. He's everything that Wake Forest is trying to create in you, by the way. Okay? He's successful. He's everything Kevin Teasley wants to be. I want buildings named after him. Okay? You know, because I'm able to give that kind of money. He's, a, he's generous. He's a philanthropist. Like, all that's fine and good. But he's still able to say, I'm worthy. I don't deserve anything from Jesus. Um, he gets it. But that's point one. The other thing he's a model is not just that it's the humility, but you got to see, and I love this, that this guy understanding his unworthiness does not... This guy's not like, oh, woe is me. Kick me again, God. I'm still breathing. Right? That's, that's not where this takes him. He, the fact that he's unworthy does not lead him to the conclusion, I don't know if God really loves me or she's ever going to do anything in my life. You see that. It doesn't lead him to live this kind of timid, you know, weak, pitiful life. Right? To be tepid in his faith. He believes that Jesus can heal his servant just by saying the word. He doesn't even have to have any physical contact. He just, Jesus, you just say the word. Okay? He, he gets that. And like, he's a powerful man. He's got unbelievable status. He says, I understand it. I, I get the ore chart, Jesus. And, and I, I got an ore chart under me. I got a hundred soldiers right under me. Okay? And I, but I also know about your ore chart. I know what's in your underneath you in the ore chart. Everything. The weather obeys you. You know? Demons come out when you say come out. Right? Um, you don't even have to tell, you don't even have to be present, you can heal somebody. Um, you've got all I said I tell people jump they say how high. I get it, but you know what Jesus, you control everything. 
you can hear my servant without saying a word. See, he's got great confidence, but it's not in himself. It's in the power of Jesus. This man's faith rests in the sovereignty of God. He knows that Jesus has the power to do whatever he wants, even love him. And that's what faith is. That you know that Jesus has the power to do whatever he wants, even love you. Okay? That's, he has confidence in Jesus. Um, he, he has faith in the power and in the goodness of Jesus. Um, he sees that in him. And it blows, he knows that in the same way that he has power over men, the centurion, that Jesus has power over everything. Um, he trusts the goodness of Jesus. And, and if I really push you on all of this, that really is what is at the heart of my dilemma and your dilemma with faith, is that we don't trust the goodness of Jesus. Um, I'll pick on Molly Jane again. Okay, my youngest daughter, we're living here in Winston-Salem, and she's at Whitaker Elementary over there, and it's one of those nights in the south where there's a snow forecast of snow, you know, and which means in the south it's probably not going to snow. <laughs> and um, so I'm putting her to bed at night, and um, you know, saying prayers and all that kind of stuff. And as I'm putting her down, she knows that there's a chance of snow. She's, she's probably like third grade or something like that, second grade. And as I'm putting her down, we're going to pray. She says to me, she goes, Dad, I got a question for you. And she says, um, do you ever try to trick God? And I'm thinking, boy, this is going to be good. <laughs> I don't know what's about to come out of her mouth, but it's going to be good. And uh, I said, what do, you, what do you mean? And she goes, um, I really, really want it to snow tomorrow, so I'm praying that God won't let it snow. <laughs> I mean, isn't that amazing? And, and I know what she's talking about right there. You know? And that... Like, like some of you are like my daughter. You, you're afraid to pray that God would bring somebody into your life that you could date and you could marry because you think as soon as I ask God for something like that, He's going to do the opposite. In other words, you kind of think like Jesus is the devil. Like, I'm going to ask God for something good and He's going to do the opposite. Right? He's going to do something. Like, you're afraid to pray that God will give you this job or let you get into this grad school or provide something because you think as soon as I ask God for that, He's going to do the opposite. And I love that. He, like, what's that? What's at the heart of my dilemma with faith in yours is that we can't look at Jesus and say, I trust you. I, I was playing golf and Rosie was pregnant with Kennedy, our oldest daughter, playing golf with a good friend of mine, John Stone. And as we're playing golf, and I was having kind of anxious anxiety attacks about Rosie being pregnant, because when you're pregnant and your wife's pregnant, like you're just like you realize there's so much that can go wrong. I mean, it's like, and it's absolutely out of your control. And I'm asking this friend of mine, like, how did you, he had three children at this point. I'm like, did you ever, did, did you have these times when you couldn't sleep? Panic attacks, like all the stuff that can go wrong. What do you do? And he looks at me and he goes, man, Kevin, I'm going to tell you this. It's nothing like having a baby that helps you, that shows you that you don't really believe God is good. Right? And I, this guy gets it. Heal my servant and don't heal my seed. I know you got the power to do it, right? I trust you, Jesus. All you got to do is say the word. Um, I trust you. Um, being full of faith means that you've given up on yourself completely. And the empty hands of faith. It's nothing in my hands I bring, but simply to thy cross I claim. You cling to Jesus. Being full of faith it's not really so much something that you do, but it's something that you are. 
It's about being so empty, so broken, so hungry, that all you can absolutely do is cling to Jesus because you know that's all that you got. Right? And, and what's amazing is, like, that's where Jesus wants us all the time. And it's amazing as I look at my own life and I spend so much time trying to get out of the place that Jesus wants me all the time. And that is where I have given up on any hope of resources in myself. You know, any hope of any merit in myself. And I'm just clean. It's like the sinful woman that is wiping her feet with, with her tears, wiping Jesus' feet, you know, with her tears. And she's hanging on to him because she knows that's all I, that's all I got is Jesus. It's you. You have to feel the love. And so the message here tonight is for you. I mean, whether it's for the first time tonight or the 50th time tonight, right? That, that you admit your brokenness before him, your emptiness before him, that it's time to give up on yourself, and it's Jesus has got to fill you up. Right? He is the beautiful one. He is the complete one. He's the only one that's going to be able to fill us up. Amen? Let me pray for us. Uh, Father, I thank you for this, this passage, this message. Um, I pray that you would um, help us to see in Jesus what this centurion sees in him. Um, that we are unworthy before him, but that you have the ability to do whatever you want even to love us and that you do love us so much that you went to the cross for us. And if, if, you did, if you're willing to go through that for us, why would you ever not give us everything else that we need? Help us to trust you like that. It's in your name I ask.